amen and amen. Look at this now. Look at this. I, I'm going to go ahead and say this, and I, I hope I don't get anybody in trouble or get me in trouble. Shirley and I um, celebrated some of our freedom uh, that the governor has allowed us and our city to do. We, we went and ate at two of our favorite places to go eat. We went to Alamo Cafe and got, got fajitas, and then we went to uh, Chester's and got a hamburger. And, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, when you're in there, when you were partaking of fajitas or you were partaking of a cheeseburger, they let you take your mask off, uh, which is a good thing. It is a good thing. Try to eat a cheeseburger with a mask on your face. So I, what I'm going to offer to you today, as we gather around the Lord's table, and as we partake of the bread of life here, if you want to, as you're seated, just drop that mask a little bit. But then if you'll please put it back on when you, when you move out into some of this, we're going and coming, you, you're, welcome to, you're welcome to do that. You can say, well, our pastor said we could do that. And so just send them to, send them to me, and I'll, I'll, but I'm going to say, no, look, if we can eat a cheeseburger without a mask, we can sit at the Lord's table without a mask. And that's, so that's what we're going to do and for this morning. But you, that's your choice. You do as you are, as you are led, led to do. I'm grateful that there has been a seriousness um, with regard to what we were in the middle of. And uh, no, nobody, nobody knew from the beginning what we were dealing with. And we've scientists and, and the experts have done the best they can. And we're just thanking the Lord for his protection, amen, and his provision and we'll continue to look to him, continue to trust him. Now, for those of you who are out there, part of our streaming family, if, if you happen to be in the company of your mother, or if you are a father and you're in the company of the mother of your children, I want to ask you to just get up right now and walk over to where she is and just give her a hug and give her a kiss on the cheek and whisper in her ear, Thank you, I love you, you're beautiful, you're wonderful, you're smart, all of the things that, that moms need to hear and to continue to hear. And thank you, Jesus, for our, for our mothers. My, my mom, um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting well up in years, uh, I hate, hate to admit it, it just, aging catches up with you. It's just, a, it's a irreversible, it's, it's coming. But I have not lived a day on this planet that my mother has not been praying for me. And there's no way for me to say to you, Mom, how much that, that has meant. And she's, she's in her 90s, literally. But she said recently, I believe that the reason I'm still here is to pray. To pray for my children. I have two sisters and to pray for my grandchildren, to pray for the church in the nation, to pray for our nation, to pray for the movement of the Lord around the world. And I am so grateful that we have godly praying moms, women that uh, have been in the trenches for us again and again and again. There's one other group uh, that, I, that I really want to say a thank you to and speak a blessing over. It's those of you who have been spiritual moms to ones that were not necessarily your blood kin, but you've been drawn to them. 
You've been drawn to love them. You've been drawn to be involved in their lives and to pray for them. You may have not had um, a mother who was a godly example in your life. That can be a sad testimony of, of, of many uh, coming into adulthood, not being able to look back and see a, a mom who, who really walked with the Lord and loved the Lord. And there are no perfect mothers. We understand that. But, but it just can mean so much when, when your mom taught you how to pray and you knew was praying for you. But when that hasn't been in place, you know what the Lord will do many times. He will give you an adopted spiritual mom. He'll give you somebody that is just drawn to you and has a heart for you and has compassion for you and wants to encourage you and wants to pray for you and speak life into you. So I, I want to encourage those of you who have a spiritual mom as well as your, your biological mom. They may be one and the same, but they may not be one and the same. But would you take a, a little bit of time today and, and reach out to them and and let them know, thank you, bless you. You have meant so much to me in my walk with the Lord. And I, I believe it would mean something to them. Will you do that? As you're, as you're prompted to, I, I hope you will. Now, we're going one more, one more day, one more Sunday into this, this subject of unleashing the might of heaven. Unleashing the might of heaven. We've been talking about the power of agreement, that when the Lord finds somebody on this earth who will be in agreement with him for his purpose, then it's only a matter of time before his power is released into and many times through that person who is in agreement with him. It doesn't necessarily happen quickly. It, it, sometimes it can. It certainly can. But it may be over the period of months or years. But where there's been a sense in your heart that the Lord has, has dropped something into your spirit, something that, that he wants to do or that you believe will honor him, and you're, you're drawn to just stay in that place of agreeing. You're not, you, it's amazing how you can, you can go through the passage of time and not, not feel like you were wrong or you need to give up or, or questioning. It's just, it's just steady in your heart. This is something I believe the Lord wants to do, and I'm believing him for it. My brother, my sister, it's only a matter of time because he's the one who's keeping you in that place of faith. He's the one who keeps encouraging you. And you stand there, you stand in faith in that place. And it's only a matter of time before he will do with his power what only, only he can do. We've spent some time talking about the power of the Lord out there, the power of the Lord moving on people out there or breakthroughs and situations out there. This morning, the focus has shifted not to the might of heaven out there, but the might of heaven right here. The might of heaven coming right here to my heart, to my spirit, to the insides of my life. Now, I want to ask you to take your Bible, and I want you to turn in your Bible to the book of Acts and Acts chapter 11, and I don't know that we have ever in all the years of Alamo City necessarily read through this passage of Scripture publicly. 
but out loud as a group. But we're going to do this, do it today, and we're headed somewhere. There, there is, there is something that Peter reports that Jesus has said and kept saying it that is worthy of our attention this morning. So when you go to Acts chapter 11, you'll, we're going to just step in, come join Peter's report back to the leadership, the church in Jerusalem about what had happened um, in Caesarea, a, a town, a coastal, coastal town in the home of a, of a Roman centurion uh, by the name of Cornelius. Um, up until this time, for the most part, um, what the Lord was doing with the church, with the early church, was primarily among Jewish people in the, in the environs of Jerusalem, Judea, and even into Samaria. They were not necessarily considered loyal Jewish people, the Samaritans. They were lowly regarded, but the witness went that far. But there was, there was another group that had not, not yet been impacted by the gospel. And the, the disciples, the people understood that, that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, and regardless of what your background would be, there's forgiveness in Christ. But that had not been practically implemented until, until now. So join me as we look at Acts chapter 11 and verse 4. You got it? <clears throat> but Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them in orderly sequence, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision of a certain object coming down like a great sheet lowered by four corners from the sky, and it came right down to me. And when I had fixed my gaze upon it and was observing it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth and the wild beasts and the crawling creatures and the birds of the air. And I also heard a voice saying to me, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. He had followed strictly the dietary laws of Leviticus and the, the Old Testament. Nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. And these were representations of what were considered unclean animals, unfit for the Jewish people to eat. Verse 9, But a voice from heaven answered a second time, What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. What God has cleansed. What God has cleansed. Amen. <laughs> what God has cleansed no longer consider unclean or unholy. And this happened three times, and everything was drawn back up into the sky. And behold, at that moment, three men appeared before the house in which we were staying, having been sent to me from Caesarea. These were, these were Cornelius' soldiers um, that were acting as servants to go and petition Peter to leave Joppa and come to Caesarea to speak to, to uh, Cornelius' household. And the Spirit told me, verse 12, the Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. He, he, didn't, he didn't know who they were, didn't know anything about what was going on. But the Spirit, following this vision, the Spirit said regarding the three men, 
You go with them. It's okay, without any misgivings. And the six brethren that were with Peter also went with him. Verse 13. And he reported to us, Cornelius reported to us, how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and have Simon, who is called Peter, brought here. And he shall speak words to you by which you shall be saved, you and all your household. And Peter continues, and as I began to speak, began to speak to Cornelius and his family gathered there. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as he did upon us at the beginning, the day of Pentecost. And I remembered the word of the Lord how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If God therefore gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And so they were baptized and so forth. Peter had run into some difficulty with some, some Christians in Jerusalem who were upset with Peter for violating what they felt like were um, rules that needed to be followed by the early church, that you, 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 you avoid people who are considered unclean. And yet here Simon Peter is saying, but the Lord showed me something different. The Lord showed me that, that what he has cleansed, we don't have any business calling dirty. And then beyond that, as I was speaking to these Gentiles, Roman Gentiles, Roman meaning pagan, meaning um, they had their own system of gods, and yet somehow Cornelius was, was known as a kind man, though he was a centurion in charge of a hundred Roman soldiers, and, and with, with military prominence there in the, in, in the community, but there was something about him that was seeking the Lord, even though he didn't have any background in, in the Jewish tradition. Some way or another, Peter ends up in his house, and he begins to speak Jesus, talk about Jesus to this, to this pagan centurion and his household. And while Simon Peter is talking... What happened on Pentecost, in a sense, to a measure, began to happen in that house, in that room. The Spirit of the Lord fell upon them, and the evidence of that, the result of that was they began to speak with languages that were not native to them. They were known languages, just not known to the ones who were speaking. And Simon Peter saw that, recognized what was going on, and God immediately in his heart, well, if God is doing the same thing with these Gentiles as they respond to the message of Christ that he did with us on the day of Pentecost, who am I to say it isn't God? Who am I to say this isn't something the Lord wants and that isn't something that the Lord isn't in the middle of doing? It's awesome. The church had to expand beyond Jerusalem. That this needed to happen in order for it to eventually move over to, to Europe and then down through the centuries with folks with no Jewish tradition and, and in many cases having no background in, in any way with regard to the, the Scripture or, or Jesus, that we would be brought into the family of faith by means of a relationship with Christ. Though we're not Jewish 
citizens. We're not naturally born Jews. This had to happen, but it was a, it was a difficult thing. It, 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 was, it was going against what Peter had grown up with and the others had grown up with. But folks, listen, God's bigger than your tradition. Amen? God's bigger than what we've been up, brought up in. And when he chooses to, to, to set us in the middle of what he's doing in our day, we may have our hat blown in the creek several times. We, we may just, could that really be God? But yes, it will be. When Jesus is central and the power of the Spirit is the energy behind what's going on in the place and, and in, in our hearts. Now, I want you to look very carefully with me at, at a, a couple of words here. Um, in, in Acts chapter 11 and verse 16, Acts 11, verse 16, and Peter says, And I remembered the word of the Lord. I remembered the word that Jesus had spoken how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, you remember that the Bible was not written in English. It wasn't written in English. It was written in an ancient language or a couple of ancient languages, actually portions of three ancient languages. So we have to take what was said in those ancient languages and bring them into English in order for us to understand what was being meant and said during that time. So anytime there is translation, there is also interpretation. It means that whoever's doing the translating, the, the scholars that, that put together the English versions of the Bible, they are having to make some choices on how words, which words, and in what order are needing to be used to express the meaning. I want to, I, I, I want to challenge the translation that has been chosen for this verse from the New American Standard. You may have it written in another way, translated another way, but I don't think so. I think in most cases, most of the modern English translations is going to read something like this. I remember the word of the Lord, how he used to say, or how he said, all right? And then, he, then it goes on, goes on to say, John baptized with water, but you should be baptized with the Spirit. Here's the interesting thing about that. When it, if it is translated, he used to say or he said, we could take that to mean that Jesus just said it one time and then he went on to other things. That this was somewhat of a point, but it wasn't necessarily a main point. It's a significant point, but not, not necessarily as important as the message of the cross and, and, and his death on the cross. Going back to the original language, and that's what I've had, had the blessing of being taught in, in how to do some of that. And I just, I just love getting into the words. And if you read this, if, if, this, is, if this is read, taken straight from the Greek text, it doesn't say Jesus used to say something or that Jesus said something with the idea that it was just one time and then he went on to something else. There are several past tenses in the Greek language, several of them. One of them will mean it, it's, a, it's a point in action, point, point in time, action, something happened one time, that was it. That there's another tense that will mean something happened, that the perfect tense, as we've talked about before, something can happen in past time, but the result of what happened in past time has as great a significance and impact today, and it may be many years after the event, as it happened back then. 
That's another type of past tense. This one is called the imperfect tense. It is the imperfect, and not imperfect in the sense that it's flawed, but imperfect in this sense. It means that something was said or done in past time, but it kept on happening. It kept on being repeated. It was repeated action in past time. That's the tense that is used when John says, I remember what Jesus, and here's how it can literally be translated, what Jesus was saying. What Jesus was saying and kept saying and kept on saying and kept on saying some more. What he was continually saying. What was it? John baptized with water. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you, somebody just needs to slap your hand on your leg and say amen about that. This is no minor point. This is no subheading. This is not something to be overlooked. Jesus, Jesus is saying, saying about the Spirit and saying again about the Spirit, there is another kind of baptism coming. It's different than your clothes getting wet and your skin getting wet. There is a time coming when that, those parts of you that the physical cannot get to, physical water cannot get to, but only the, my spirit can get to, and you will be drenched. You will be saturated. You will be ignited with my spirit in your spirit. And, and Peter was saying, I remember that the Lord kept talking about that. He kept saying that. He kept speaking it. It kept being an emphasis with him. He kept saying it. Now, now can I leave that? Thought, just hold, hold that right there. And I want to mention to you, since it's Mother's Day, I want to mention to you a recipe. A recipe, just trying to relate a little bit here. All right? God's recipe for your greatness God's recipe for your greatness, it has three parts. There are more, more parts, but I'm going to three main ingredients for your greatness. One is, here's the, here's the number one ingredient, forgiveness, forgiveness. That Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and my sins so that we could be forgiven. We don't have to live our lives afraid of the judgment of God, afraid of the consequences of our sins, because Jesus Christ, through his death, has forgiven us of our sins. Amen. That we, we, we don't have to live under the guilt and the shame of things in the yesterdays of our lives. He's forgiven us. So that's ingredient number one. You can never achieve your greatness if we're all the time looking back over our shoulders and, and ashamed and guilty of the things that we have done. He's released us. He's forgiven us. So forgiveness is ingredient number one. You hold, that's the cross. The cross, the cross is forgiveness. But you pick up your Bible and you hold your Bible, that's the ingredient of guidance, of direction, of instruction, the miracle that we have, these 66 books preserved after all of these thousands of years where, where skeptics tried to attack them and, 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 and governmental leadership tried to destroy them, saw it as a great conflict and, and, and challenge to the leadership. Again, and the Bibles burned and, and, and outlawed and torn up and so forth. Over all these years, he has protected it. He's protected it. 
And he's protected it because he wants us to be able to see black ink on a white page, specifically the word of the Lord giving us direction as to what to do. Amen. So we, we, have, we have the forgiveness of the cross, and we have the direction and the instruction from the word, but here's the other ingredient. And I'm afraid, and I'm sad about this. I, it, it, it'll keep me awake at night sometimes, grieving over this. The church misses this, this inescapable third element in the recipe of greatness for our lives, and it is the ingredient of the spirit in power in your life. The cross is, and, and the word, that, that's forgiveness. The Bible, the scripture, that's direction. But power, child of God, power, saint of the Lord, is coming to you through the spirit or not at all. What, what I'm afraid that we've done is that we've, we've gotten forgiven we, we know that the blood of Jesus washes us and has cleansed us and, and we have a home in heaven because of his death for us. And then we just go straight to the scripture. And, and so we read the scripture and we study the scripture and we, we get that's our information. The problem for most, in, for, in seems in many cases for many Christians, it's not, it's not knowing that, that, that we don't know what's right or, or that we don't know what we ought to do. The problem is the power to do it. Folks, to be forgiven and to know what to do, but to escape the ingredient of the empowering of the Spirit in your life every day for the choices that we need to make and the things we need to let go of and the, the, the stepping into the vision that the Lord has for us, absent of the power of the Spirit, we're just stuck in sort of a sort of a never-never land. We, we, we're forgiven and we know what we ought to do. We just can't take a step. Or we don't take very many steps until we get discouraged and we want to quit. I'm asking. So, so, so for those of you who feel like the Christian life hasn't worked for me, the, 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 trying to follow Jesus just hadn't worked for me, I want to encourage you. There's a reason that it may not have worked for you. It's not that it isn't true. And it's not that there isn't rock-solid forgiveness in Christ. It's just that maybe you've never been taught or, or, or never taken seriously that third part. Jesus talked about, and he talked about, and he talked about, and he talked about, and he talked about it. John got you wet with water. But there's a time coming from the top of your head to the soles of your feet, every molecule in your spirit being will be drenched, saturated, clothed with the spirit of the resurrected Christ. You will be baptized with the spirit and with fire. Everywhere John the Baptist gave an indication of how people would know the Messiah was at hand. They kept trying to say, John the baptizer, are you, are you the Messiah? He would say, no, I'm not the Messiah. He would say, here's how you'll know. I baptize you with water for repentance. But there is one coming whom I'm not unworthy to untie his sandals, who when he comes, he will baptize you with his spirit. And in some cases, he said, and with fire, his spirit and with fire. His spirit and with fire. Folks, folks, the question is, the question is not have we been forgiven 
and not do we have a Bible. The question is, where's the power? Where's the power? Where's the power? Now, that that goes back to Acts chapter 1. Would you leave Acts 11 and go with me to Acts chapter 1? Let's pick up reading in in verse 3. Acts 1 verse 3. Following his death on the cross, following he's been raised out of the tomb, to these, Scripture says, to the the ones who saw him suffering, saw him dying, to these he also presented himself alive, the apostles. After his suffering, by many convincing proofs, he's raised from the dead, he's walking among the apostles and and, and really a gathered few, there'd be 120 in the upper room, not many, but in Jerusalem, the very place that he was put to death, he's now alive, he's now walking, He's now spending time with the ones that he had been taken from after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now, just a a short reference there. The apostle Paul says, the kingdom of God is not words, but power. The kingdom of God is not just Bible teaching. Understanding the kingdom of God is not just understanding the mental, academic, though very true, aspects of how how God would rule in the hearts of people. He he lives. His kingdom is not to be seen out there. His kingdom would be seen within the hearts of people. But but Paul will say, it's, it's not about me teaching you the academia. The, the biblical academia of what a kingdom, what the kingdom of God. He says the kingdom, Paul said this, the kingdom is not words, but it's power. It's power. Jesus sets us free from our sins so that we can know his power in our lives. He gives us this Bible to read so that we can read this Bible with the power of his spirit helping us to understand what we're reading but to try to live a life without the regular, daily, sometimes second by second, drawing upon the life of the Spirit of Jesus is to put us in a place that the Lord never intended us to be in. He didn't set up the Christian life to just get us started and meet us at the end of the race. It was way more than just the Scripture being given and being protected, being sent, and being accurate. That he wanted it to be more than you just had a letter from him in your lap. He wants you to know that he's far better than the letter. You can't contain the infinite loving God in one book any more than you can contain the love that you would feel for someone you love dearly just in one or two letters that you would write to that person. You would want that letter to be a true and authentic representation of how you feel toward them, but you would want them to want you to desire to be with you, to desire a a fellowship with you rather than just staring at your letters. I'm telling you, folks, the Lord's given us a Bible. He's given us the Scripture to excite inside of us a longing to know the one who wrote the book, to want to be with the one who tells these stories. And that's the function of the Spirit of Jesus. Paul will say, now the Lord is the Spirit. So who is the Holy Spirit? He answers that question. 
The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The Holy Spirit is the invisible presence of the exalted, resurrected, supreme commander, Jesus Christ. It's not the spirit of the suffering Jesus. It's not the spirit of the man Jesus. It's the spirit of the King of kings and Lord of lords, the crown prince of glory, resurrected. Death couldn't hold him. Satan couldn't defeat him. That Jesus is the one whose spirit, listen, whose spirit desires to baptize you with his spirit and with fire. It's not a sissified Jesus. It's not even what we would consider a civilized Jesus. He's strong. He's able. There's nothing that can stop him. He wants that spirit, you to know that spirit of who he is, alive and in your chest. You see the difference? He forgives us. He gives us instruction. But through it all, he wants himself to be able to possess us, to fill us so that we would never feel that we're abandoned, that we're, that we're an orphan. He said, I'll not leave you as an orphan. I will come to you. Well, how would he come? He would come in the person of his spirit to us. All right, let me, just, let me keep reading here. The kingdom of God, speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God, speaking, that's, that's a participle. He, 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 would do, he was doing it. He was doing it, speaking a lot, speaking often, speaking continuously of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And he says, in gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. Now, we got three witnesses working here. We got the Father promising that there's a baptizing or drenching of the Spirit coming to the people of the Lord. We've got John the Baptist saying, I baptize with water, but there's one greater than me coming who will drench your spirits with his spirit. And then you're going to have Jesus himself say, which you heard, he said, you heard of from me. Verse 5, for John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He said it in verse 7, it's not for you to know times or epochs when, when the, on the bigger picture scale of things, you, you'll, those pieces will come together. It's not, he wasn't giving to them the, the international alignment and the resurrection of Israel as a nation. That, that he was saying that's, this is not the time for that, and I'm not talking about that. But what he says is, here's, here's what will happen. Here's what, what it means for the kingdom of God to come. But you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and even unto the uttermost part of the earth, but you shall receive power. You will not be able to generate the power. The power will not come from inside you. Folks, we got, we got to let that in. Unless the Spirit of the Lord gives us the ability to understand the Scripture, we don't have the equipment apart from His Spirit working in us to be able to understand the things, the, the, the true depth, the true dimensions of what it is that He's saying. We don't have the ability apart from the Spirit giving us power to live out as free men and free women, free from the bondage of the past, free from the lies of the past, free from the guilt of the past. 
It's only by means of the Spirit, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, let's set the context for for where he was speaking these words. It was Jerusalem. He was speaking to Christians, 120 or so of these believers, brand new believers. That they, he, he had taught them what the cross was about. That they saw him crucified. That they understood he must have made it very clear, Isaiah 53, that I was suffering on the cross. I was taking the punishment for the sins of the world so that as I paid the price for freedom, for forgiveness, Those who put their faith and trust in me are forgiven of their sins. I am the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. They heard that. That They they heard that. They saw that he'd been raised from the dead. Paul would say, here's the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. And on the third day, he was raised again. These 120 or this group, they got that. That Jesus had died for their sins. They knew where he was buried. Now they hear him, look at him talking to them. In a very practical sense of the word, these were saved people. These were Christians. If something had happened and one of them or the whole of them had been tragically put to death, if the soldiers had come in and killed the one of them, they would have gone to heaven. Why? Because their faith was in Jesus. It wasn't about had they been converted. It wasn't about had they been forgiven. It was about that they had no power. And Jesus understood that. Will you please let that in? And I can't tell you how urgent this is in my spirit to to try to shout it, say it again. (laughs) There's more than knowing that you've been forgiven. There's more than being able to navigate your way through the Scripture. The more is that the Spirit of the living Jesus wants to fill you up with His measurable, known, enabling presence. But you shall receive power. That word means capability. It means ability. It means something of a of a dimension that the individual doesn't have on his or her own. You shall receive power. At the cross, you receive forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus. At the cross, we receive mercy. In the Word, we receive instruction. But only by means of the Spirit do we receive power. You you can read all you want to about about the power of God and about the power of the Spirit and and, and the the, the giftings and the power of the gifts. But, But until it happens to you, it's just information. It's just it's just information. Jesus says, but you shall receive. Something is going to be given to you. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So back again, what was going on in Jerusalem? The, the, the believers, paralyzed by fear, the same ones who put Jesus to death in that earthly sense, were still holding their offices of political power. 
More than likely, the same Roman leaders in cahoots with the Jewish leaders were still in place. They, for, for Jesus to say, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, they, he could have just stopped right there. You're going to be my witnesses. Check out at that point. Because if you were even known as being a follower of the way, your, your life, your family, your business could be put in great jeopardy. Fear had paralyzed them. Fear had shut them down. Have you ever had fear shut you down? The fear of a person, the fear of a situation, the fear of whatever. Fear shut them down. The, 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 the concern about, you know, if he's going to say that we're supposed to be a witness, I don't want to be a witness. I don't want to be a witness of the love of Jesus to these cruel, cold-hearted religious people and then Roman soldiers who were a part of putting him to death and gladly putting him to death. The, the, the power to forgive, the power to love, they were, they were shut down on all counts. So when Jesus says to them, you shall receive power, he knew exactly, exactly what it was that they were going to need or they would have never moved. The power to love, the power to have hope. They were riddled with disappointment. That Their whole dream, they'd lashed their, their wagon to the star of Jesus, and, and, and now it's not what they thought that he was going to be. Yes, he's alive, but what does that mean? That's important, that's good, but, but, but what about all of our other dreams? They were dealing with disappointment. They were dealing with sadness. They were dealing with fear. They were dealing with some levels of anger and rage even at the ones who had done those things to the one they loved and, and by implication to them as well. So what the Lord was saying was, there is a power greater than your fear. There is a power greater than your disappointment. There is a power greater than your hatred or your anger. And that is the power of my spirit coming into you. You can't copy it because you're not strong enough. You, you, can't, you can't do it just because you want to because you're not able. If I don't give you the power, if the power of the Spirit does not come, you are stuck. Do I have a witness out there? Is anybody in a situation in your life where you just have to say, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I don't have the power. I can't do it on my own. My brother, my sister, there is awesome news for you. Well, what's happened is that in many cases we've forgotten that third ingredient of the recipe of God's greatness for us. We get the forgiveness and we get the direction. But somehow we just miss this. That the Lord wants us to know every second of every day where weakness rises up within us, we have heaven opened to us. Lord, fill me. Lord, empower me. Lord, give to me ability. Give to me capability to do what I'm needing to do, what you've called me to do, what I'm in the middle of right now. Amen. Amen. But if all you think, oh, I got forgiven, I got clean, and this is how I'm supposed to live my clean life. And the problem is, going along here, there are things he will say that we need to... And, and people, 
who, who have known what it is to be forgiven and may know the scripture thoroughly can live defeated, guilt-ridden, never measuring up in their hearts' lives because they've missed it. They've missed that inescapable agreement that Peter will say, Jesus said it, and he said it, and he said it, and he kept saying it. John baptized with water, but there is a time coming when you will be drenched with fire. You'll be drenched with fire, and it will make all the difference in your life. I'm talking about situations that don't change. Well, the doctor's prognosis has not changed. Well, our financial situation has not changed. Where relational situations have not changed. He can do those things. And in his time, he'll do many of them. But here's the good news. Even if it's another 10 years before that out there experiences the unleashing of heaven's might, right now, today, right here, right where you are, he can do a work of change here. So that that which has crushed me, that which has paralyzed me in fear, that which has caused me to back away from my dreams and desires, those things that have paralyzed me, when the power of the Spirit fills me, the shackles are broken. You say, well, what's the step, preacher? What's the step? What's the step? I'll do some steps. Well, here's your step. Come face to face with where you are impotent. Come face to face. Stare it in the face. This is what I can't do. This is what I can't handle. This is where a thirst for change is the greatest in my life. Will you hear this church of the Lord Jesus Christ? He will meet you in his power to change you, to refresh you in the place of your greatest thirst. Find John, if you would, the gospel of John. John chapter 7. And it wasn't just that Peter would say Jesus spoke and spoke and spoke some more about the, the Spirit being poured out, baptizing the believer, as if the only time he spoke it was there, spoke of the Spirit, was when he was raised from the dead. The gospel of John has several spots and other, other references. Luke is another one where there is the reference to the necessity of the Spirit, the Spirit's empowering work in the life of the believer. One of those spots is this, John 7, verse 37. This is one of the most striking verses in your Bible. That there, there will be few that will even come close to the significance and the impact of these words. Now, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out. Jesus stood not from the seating posture of a rabbi, but he stood, and then the added verb is he cried out. That is a word that evokes croaking. 
that invo it, invokes, it, it invokes sounds that cannot even be articulated in words. He groaned. He cried out. This is, this is God standing in a human body, wanting everyone within the sound of his human voice to hear it and to get it. What was it that he cried out? As he looked out across the faces of hundreds, if not thousands, of religious people, of scripturally knowledgeable people, of psalm-singing people, of ones who had been trained in the biblical backgrounds and the biblical tradition. But he looked out across that sea, and he didn't just speak it in a dignified fashion. This word for cried out is the opposite of a dignified posture. It's words used for children crying out. It's words used, similar to words used for animals crying out in fear. Jesus, on the last day, the great day of the feast, stood and cried out, church, hear this. Child of God, hear this. If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke, John interprets. This he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. That would happen as he ascended on that mount, speaking to the, to the hundred, few hundreds gathered there before Pentecost. He was taken up into heaven, and the angels came and said, in the same way you saw him go, he will come again. But upon returning to heaven, he was reclothed with all of his glory, given the name that is above every other name. And from that place, from that place of exaltation, he would then on the day of Pentecost pour out his spirit upon the church. In that setting, in that moment, the ones who had believed in Jesus, and it was 10 days or so after he had spoken that word to them, and they waited in fasting and prayer, and on that day, it, it happened. What that established was, it, it established that when you receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, the doorway is open for you also to be filled as they were on the day of Pentecost. It established the constant. It established the rule of law, if you will. That this is what he will do. This is what his heart is. That following receiving Christ as Savior and Lord, believing that he died on the cross for you, and then turning your heart, they sought him for 10 days. What were they waiting in prayer in Jerusalem for those 10 days for? The promise of the Father. The promise of the Father. And what was the promise of the Father? That the Spirit would be poured out upon them. And what would the Spirit of the what, what would the the Spirit being poured out upon them mean power. Power. The question for you and me today and for the church in America, where's the power? Don't talk to me about the, the theology and getting it a brain. This isn't a brain thing. This isn't a cranial thing. This is something that came upon them. 
This was something that they felt. This is something that they knew that happened to them. And if it was true with them, the dimensions, the circumstances may change. There were other times when the Spirit would be poured out on folks who were seeking to be filled, and there were no tongues. There, were, there was at Acts. There was at Acts 10. We don't have any reference in Acts chapter 2 that the 3,000 that came to the Lord on that day of Pentecost, we don't have the, the, the specific instruction from Scripture that all 3,000 of them spoke in languages they didn't understand. It's just not there. What that means is the Lord's not going to be limited to any one way. There's only one size that fits all. He, he'll do what is right. He'll do what he knows is best. When your heart is open, Lord, fill me. He'll fill you in a way, and it's not a mental deal. It's not about academics. It's not about having your theology all in a box and God all well-behaved and figured out. Jesus would say to Nicodemus, the, you know, one of the, well, the structure guys, the religious guys, you hear the wind coming and you see the wind going, this marked unpredictability about the wind, so is everyone going to be who is born of the Spirit. That there will be a marked air of unpredictability and spontaneity about everyone who is born of the Spirit and being led by the Spirit. Amen. You see, this kind, of, this kind of truth just freaks out religious establishment people. It can freak out some preachers who are maybe listening to this this morning because you want everything in the box, everything well-behaved, all the desks left on your pages, left on your day. You pray, Lord, fill my people with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. And he's liable to blow all the papers off your desk. But you'll know that you're not in the middle of some mundane, routine, brain-only situation. Folks, listen, live your lives with a passion. Lord, I don't know what this is, and I don't know what it may mean in my life, but what I do know is I'm thirsty. Here's a place of thirst. Here's a place of impossibility. Here's something I can't do. I can't fix. I can't change. And I'm asking you in that place right here to fill me with your spirit. If you're not going to change that, and even if you are going to change that, I, the biggest change I need is right here so that the joy of the Lord can be my strength, so it's the ability to love and forgive and full of hope and to stay the course because of the joy in my life. That's what I need. Folks, listen, the greatest power, the greatest demonstration of heaven's might is not necessarily for you out there. The greatest demonstration of heaven's might this morning for you could be right here. Where suddenly a face that has paralyzed you with fear and rejection, that face loses its power to own you. Where hopelessness because of an unchanging situation has stayed in place for so long. And, and you, you, you read the scripture and you know you're going to heaven when you die. You read all the verses on hope, all the verses on faith. But still there is the lack of faith and hope in your heart. Where is the power to have hope to come from? Where is the power to believe to come from? It will not come from staring at the cross. Though the cross is, we're so grateful for the cross. That's where we're forgiven. That's where we're brought into the family. 
The power to have hope won't necessarily either just come from memorizing all the verses on hope. Why did Jesus say it and keep saying it and keep saying it and keep saying it? John baptized you with water. But not many days from now, you shall be baptized with the Spirit. So what does that mean? What is the power of the Spirit inside me look like? In Galatians chapter 5, Paul lists what are called the fruit of the Spirit, aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. Each one of them present in a place where the setting would dictate the opposite of what is described. Love, when there seems to be abandonment, hate, warfare, strife all around. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, 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 when there seems to be no reason to be joyful. Whose joy is it? It's not your joy worked over. It's the Spirit's joy. It's the Spirit's joy. It's the Spirit's love, His ability to love, His joy, His peace, His patience, His kindness, His goodness, His gentleness, His self-control. Now again, listen, I'm going to tell you, some of you, some of you are, this is what you're doing. Okay, I'm forgiven, and let me just study some more verses on kindness, goodness, and love. And I'll get this. No, you won't. No, you won't. You, you, you'll find yourself at a place where here are the standards of God. Here's what I'm supposed to do, but I can't do it. And, and if we lose the reality that there is that third ingredient in God's hope for you, God's plan for you, which is the empowering of his spirit, without that, the whole recipe can fall apart. We get to heaven, but we get to heaven worn out. We get to heaven disappointed. We get to heaven feeling like we just never measured up. When you let this in, and you really let it in, the Lord knows you're going to need a helper. Do you know you need a helper? And if there is a helper that is available, are you going to access the help of the helper? Jesus called him the helper. Another name is the encourager. But if we, if we somehow think, I don't need the helper, then we are left to our own devices. When Jesus said, as he stood, you know, why, did he, why did he do it? Because religious people can somehow think we can figure it out. We can do it. Just give me the truth. Give me a way to go, and I can do it. No, we can't. In the sense that the Lord wants us to know it. When instead of it being a grind, instead of it being a drain, it really is that the joy of the Lord is my strength. And Paul would say, here's the passion of my life, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. I want to know his power to raise the dead in the middle of my life right now. I'm facing situations that I can't change. But I'm pouring my heart out, and I'm opening my heart up to the one who can change me, (laughs) 
who can change me. You say, well, I don't really need to change. I don't really need to change. Well, then fine, fine. This really, you know, we're wasting our breath on you. But for the ones who are out there listening, say, look, if i got to raise my hand to indicate that there's some stuff going on in my life that I can't fix, that's bigger than me, that I don't understand, here's my hand up in the air. That marks your thirst. That marks the place of your thirst. You take that thirst and you keep coming to Jesus with your thirst. Lord, fill me. Lord, I want to know your spirits filling of me, empowering of me. There are two, two things I would say to you. If you're out there and you're hearing this, you're, I, want to, I want to be, whatever that means to be baptized with the Spirit, whatever that means to be filled with the Spirit, whatever that means, Lord, I want to know what it is. How do I do it? How do I get there? He'll meet you at the place of your thirst. That, that, was, that was the context of Acts 1. They, they, were, they were thirsty for comfort. They were thirsty to get over their fears. They, they, were, they, were, they were thirsty in the sense that they knew their inadequacy to forgive and to be a witness for Jesus. He spoke those words, you shall receive power, in the context of thirsty people. You get satisfied church people, and they, 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 won't, they won't even pay any attention to this. They just want more information about the end times, or they just want more information about how they can make their finances work. But you find some thirsty people who know they're in over their heads and they can't fix things and they can't change things and they're crying out for strength extra than what they have, beyond what they have. Then the words of Jesus about you shall receive the Holy Spirit, you shall receive power, matter and mean something. And that's where we are, I believe, most all of us are. We're not playing any phony, churchy, plastic games. We're in the middle of real life, needing real help. Here's my thirst. I'm coming to the Lord with it. And then I want, I want you to know this, this verse that we, we've been spent some time on. This is Luke chapter 11. Let me read this. You find it. Find it in your copy of the scripture, if you will. This is Luke 11, and starting in verse 9. Jesus speaking. And I say to you, ask. And it's present active. Ask and keep asking. And it shall be given to you. Seek, and keep seeking, and you shall find. Knock, and keep knocking, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Now hold on to that. Not some, not certain spiritual people or certain special people. For everyone who asks and keeps asking, receives. And he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks and keeps knocking, it shall be open. Now suppose one of your fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He'll not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him, to those who are asking Him? The whole context for asking and receiving, seeking and finding, 
knocking it to be opened unto. Where without exception, the promise is the seeker will also be the finder. The context is the seeker going to the Father and seeking to be filled with the Spirit. Knocking because there is a need. The context is need. Needing to be filled. The setting is the Spirit. Is the pouring out of the Spirit. The giving of the Spirit. Somehow as I say this, I I just can sense that it's like it's I don't understand that. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know how that could be. I, I thought what I was supposed to do was just go and find the verses in my Bible on what God would want me to do. There's nothing wrong with that. And, and, and you can have the direction. Many times the direction is given. But what I'm saying is, what if the Lord intends more for you than just understanding a dry manual to live by? What if he wants you to experience, experience, to feel measurably that when you're up against something that you can't fix and you cry out, Lord, will you fill me with your presence? You will have the sense that the king of the kingdom is making his presence known. And that some way, somehow, even though you know your lack of faith is there, there is something that moves into you that gives you the ability to believe and trust that you didn't have before. It, it, it may be making a verse of Scripture real, bringing something out of, out of the past that has been a testimony of the goodness of God that you're refreshed by. But the only reason you're different, the only reason you got wind in your sail is because the Lord is honoring your prayer. Jesus, fill me. Fill me with your spirit. I can't do this. Fill me. It's not supposed to be a one-time crisis thing. This is how we're supposed to live. To live as if I have a comforter right next to me. I have a helper right next to me. Instead of having to, having to leave the cross and my Bible's way over here, and in between there and here, I'm having to make it on my own the best I can. What if the truth is there is a helper There is a lover of your soul. There is the Spirit of God wanting you to know His presence every step of every day. The good places, the easy places, the tough places, the hard places. Jesus said it, and He said it, and He said it again. It was no minor point. It, it, was, it was exalted to a supreme heading in his teaching on the kingdom. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You say, well, I don't know anybody like that. Well, then, then stop looking at other people. You look at the testimony in Scripture and just start praying. We can't get everybody else to step into our shoes and help us with everything anyway. They can't lift our load totally. It's good to have friends. But when you understand that the Lord is beckoning you with this, ask me. Ask me. Ask me to fill you. Ask me to drench you with my spirit. (laughs) Ask me to fill you. And see what happens. See what happens. The adventure, an adventure like you've never known, like you've never imagined, 
a dimension of freedom and life like you've never known can come upon you. And you'll find yourself being moved by not what is necessarily expected of me or necessarily the protocol of the moment, but you'll find somehow there's that wind back behind you and you feel like that leaf in the wind like it Jesus spoke of in John 3. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Oh, listen. That's living. And that's living all the way from the cradle to the grave and then beyond. The joy of the living Jesus alive in us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the written word. But in between here and there, knowing him and sensing him, feeling his power rising up within us in the places where we don't have it. Ask him. It starts with the cross, embracing the cross. He died on the cross for you, receiving that. And then once this gets cleansed, it can then be filled with his spirit. And one that is cleansed and filled and and our minds are turned toward the Lord, then his word begins to just open up to us and make more sense and it's rich and it's full of truth and life and joy. But right now today, wherever you are, you could say, I need that kind of power in my life. It starts at the cross. It starts with receiving Jesus as Savior, Lord. Would you open your heart up to him if you've never done it? Lord, I invite you. Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. The best I can, I put my trust in your death for me on the cross. Lord, I ask you to forgive me. But then, Lord, I ask you to fill me with your power. How many new believers were taught to pray that when they prayed to receive Jesus? I receive you as Savior. Trusting your death on the cross, will you fill me with your spirit? I'm afraid that far too often the work of the spirit hasn't even been mentioned in many thousands, if not tens of thousands of believers' lives in this country. You pray to receive Jesus, and then you get a Bible handed to you. And then what we're supposed to do is do the Bible, read the Bible, keep the Bible. And nowhere have we been told it ain't going to happen unless Jesus gives me his Spirit's power to do it. Anybody want to say amen to that? So to say, well, the church, Christianity hadn't worked for me. It may not have worked because I missed that third part of the ingredients and his recipe of greatness for your life. Forgiveness, direction, power, power, power. Lord, thank you for our time together. Bless your word to our hearts, please. Bless your word to our hearts, please, we pray. In Jesus' name. And all the Lord's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you.